Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about hiring for the future with the help of special guest Jim Reardon of RIKB Design Build in Warwick, Rhode Island. Alongside Tim Fowler, I am your co-host, Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey, everyone. Tim Fowler here, and welcome to another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. As I always do, just encourage you to keep thinking of ideas for topics, send them in, and uh, we'll do our best to get them on the air for you and uh, help everybody out a little bit. So send them to me at tim at remodelersadvantage.com. Now, hiring's a challenge. Anybody that uh, doesn't believe that uh, hasn't been thinking very much about it. So, uh, but one of the things that I've seen that part of the reason for the hiring challenge is that we will typically wait until we really need someone and then we start the process. Now, again, some of you know that sometimes I hear the audience out there talking to me when I say things and I'm hearing everybody go, we always need someone. Well, okay. But I think in general, the pattern, if you really look at it, is it ebbs and flows. You really get intense about hiring for a little while. And then maybe when you fill that position or those couple of positions, then you focus your attention onto something else. Yes, you always need somebody. I understand that. But if you really look at the way you behave, it comes and goes in terms of your drive for that. It's one of the reasons why I've started telling people, you know, they ask like, when do we need a human resource person? And I'm thinking it needs to be like at a 2 million, you know, you hire somebody who's going to be recruiting and hiring people for you because you need somebody that'll do that full time instead of just the part time. So not too long ago, I was visiting RIKB design build and I was sitting and chatting with the production manager. I had a guest with me that was kind of learning from their process about what they're doing. And he said something like this, I'm, sta- I'm staffed up for the next growth spurt. And I kind of put that in the back of my head and went like, whoa. Now, we didn't have time to really dig into it then. But I thought, you know what, I need to kind of see what's going on with them. And, and that I thought, you know, that's different. Most everybody that I talk to says, I got to have three people right now. And our guest today was going like, no, we're good for the next spurt that comes along. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun to get him on, just find out what they're doing. How did they get to that position? And then maybe are they now looking for the next growth spurt? So Steve, let's jump right into it. Okay, let's do it. So Jim Reardon is the production manager for our IKB design build located in Warwick, Rhode Island. Jim has been with the company for five years and has been part of the transition from a $3.5 million company to a $7.5 million company, producing over 80 projects per year. He oversees a production office staff of seven people, field staff of five, six 1099 project managers, and dozens of various trade partners. When he began with the company, they had two office staff, three field staff, and five 
1099 project manager. So welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you, Steve. And thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is going to be great. As most everybody, well, maybe you don't know out there in podcast world, I know uh, Rhode Island Kitchen and Bath Design Build very, very well, since I was actually one of their 1099 installers for about nine months when I needed work, when no one would pay me to talk. Now, people pay me to talk now, so I put the tools down and I enjoy uh, the talking. So, Jim, give us a little bit more information about RIKB Design Build. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so we've transitioned over the past several years uh, going from a, a, a company that really focused on kitchen and bath and interior remodeling to more of the full service design build companies. Uh, and in doing so, you know, we found out that maybe we weren't staffed correctly. So that's not only a number, but it's what are these people doing? What What is their job titles? What is their positions? Um, and when we seriously took a look at it, we said, yeah, we are deficient in a little bit of these areas. So as you know, there's a big difference between interior remodeling and framing, which could accompany some of right. your, your additions. Um, we look to bring somebody on that had experience in that field. And that's kind of what started our journey along the process. Um, so, you know, again, we've nearly doubled in size um, and we certainly have more than doubled our staff to accompany that. Um, and uh, that's kind of where we are today. So I hope I got it right in the intro, but is it true that you're pretty much set for at least a little while in terms of having the staff that you really need? Well, that kind of scares me. <laughs> I, uh, I don't want to say well set because, as you know, things change. Yeah. Um, however, we we feel that based on where we're projecting our sales, um, we are ready and have the staff to facilitate that next level. Um, now, as everyone struggles with, what is that next level? What defines it? Is it eight to ten million? Is it ten to fifteen million? Um, I guess we won't know until we get there, um, but. Knowing our process, we're constantly looking out ahead. We're not trying not to live in today. We're trying to live in tomorrow, next year, and the next five years. Um, so as long as we keep doing that on a day-to-day -day basis, yes, I do think we are staffed uh, to, to handle what, what, whatever you know, is thrown at us. Yeah, so the big question becomes like, okay, how did you do it? Uh, because like I suggested in the intro, almost everyone I'm talking to is like we need people right now because we've got jobs coming in. We're, we've sold all this work and we need people to produce it. So you mentioned process. So just what is that process? What, what led you and the owners of the company to be, be saying, you know what, uh, we need to be sure we're staffed up. So how, what was that mindset like? I think that that might help us get to the exact hows. Well, the decision, the hiring decisions can't be made in a vacuum, meaning if we're adding front of the house people, sales designers, we have to add back of the house people in order to support that. And it's just a simple math calculation. If you hire a designer that you predict is going to sell a million dollars, well, do we have that on the back end to produce that a million dollars? Um, so that's one of the things. And, and our owners, Tanya and Mike, have always been fantastic at that. The second thing is, which I think was critical to where we, how we've gotten to where we are today, is they were willing to invest in our future. Uh, we constantly, like everyone else, and like you alluded to in the intro, we're chasing our tails. Um, by the time we really ramped up that job search for candidates, it was already too late because mm -hmm. 
the time the process takes, the interviewing process, the screening, then the training for that person to get up to speed, you're looking at a minimum of six months. Right. Um, and we were constantly chasing our tails. So we said, you know what? This is what we're planning. Why don't we put our money where our mouth is and let's go out and get the people we need that's going to support those sales. Um, that in and of itself, I think, was the most important decision that has allowed us to get to where we are today. Now, again, you alluded to in the intro, everyone is always looking for help all the time. So we constantly had on our website, we had advertisements out there looking for these positions. We were very patient. We didn't rush into things just to fill the need. I think that was the other critical part is that we can't um, sacrifice what we want in a project manager or in a project coordinator uh, in, in our office just because we're desperate. Okay, because as you all know, everyone out there, you've a bad hire can do 10 times more damage than not having that person in the seat to begin with. Yeah. Um, so, again, holding true to those to those things. And I got to be honest with you, we got lucky <laughs> be <laughs> because of that patience. We waited until we, outstanding candidates came along uh, yeah. and then it was a no brainer. Then it was. I, you know, going to the owners and say, hey, I know I don't have a position technically open right now, but we have this candidate with this experience. And most importantly, they're a perfect fit because of X, Y, and Z. And the decision was easy at that point. So you mentioned is it's Tanya and Mike that are the co-owners. Is that right? That's correct. So you mentioned right at the beginning of that conversation that you guys got together and that they were great about making sure that you could hire production people as they were expanding the sales design side of it. And what I experience often, and I want, I mean, maybe it was the same way with you, but it sounds a little different. I hope it's a little different. So, cause that makes the podcast that much better. But <laughs> the idea that, you know, the business owner is primarily focused on sales and that then the production manager just has to catch up. Did, did Mike and Tanya like help you make sure that you had enough production people before they expanded sales and design? Was that like a simultaneous process? Yes and no. Um, I think we learned it organically because we had some salespeople that they hired that quite frankly exceeded our expectations oh, and okay. put us in that position where now all of a sudden, we couldn't produce what they're selling. Or I shouldn't say we couldn't. We struggled right. to produce. And let's face it, it's a numbers game. It's real simple. We have a dollar value on how much each production week is worth to us, times that by the number of weeks in a year. Now, we don't use 52 because of vacations and everything like that. And then times the number of project managers we have available, and it comes up and it gives it spits out the number. So, for right. example, at our current staffing level, let's just say it tells us we can produce $6 million. Well, if sales is forecasting $8 million, we know we have a problem. Right. So, yes, it, so it happened organically, but then we, for, we were forced to take a look at those numbers and say, well, what, can, what do we need to produce what we're planning? So, that's the, so that to you is the key to be able to accurately predict what and to know how much can you produce per person? So let me just, and again, I, I come, everybody out there in the world knows I come from a production stand side of this thing and I will defend the production people to the teeth, right? 
right. against those evil people on the other side. But, you know, I, I will. And and but what stopped it from just being, well, just give Jim another job. Just give, you know, uh, Anthony a couple of more projects. Surely they can pick up a couple. What, what stopped that mentality instead of, no, they can only do this amount. Therefore, we need one more person data. So we were able to pull three years previous data uh, that said, here's the number of jobs we did. Here's the amount of time it took to produce it. Um, so you can't, you can't just give Jim another job if there's no other time left in the year to give him that job. Right. Um, so data plays a big deal into it too. So we have an, we know our kitchens are an average of four weeks. We know our bathrooms are an average of three to five weeks, depending on it. So we can forecast all of that, all of those numbers. So we have a pretty good idea of what we're looking at. Um, I mentioned uh, production weeks. We use a 45 weeks. So each project manager, a 45 week year, that's how many they can produce in a year. So okay. And then we multiply that out by the number of project managers that we have. So it's all in the numbers. It's all in being able to take a look at the numbers. Now, is it, is it 45 weeks because uh, they'll take a couple of weeks vacation, but they, the reality is that not everything goes perfectly. Is that why it's 45 and not 50? Yeah. I mean, we could make it 50, but that wouldn't make sense. Um, you know, two, yes, everyone, they say two weeks. And if you ask project managers, they say they won't even take two weeks vacation. So we use 45 as an average. Um, okay. And let's face it, there's injuries out there. Uh, there's a lot of other factors that go into that. So we try to be real. Yeah, that's so cool. So, Jim, I, I love that thought because it, like Tim just said, people want to continue to say, well, why can't the, you said four weeks for kitchen or bath. Why can't we? make lean go leaner and make it three weeks, you know, and continue to keep beefing up. So that data point's amazing. And just, I think that pulls a lot of context to our listeners. One thing in the very beginning, you said, um, you know, we used to do it uh, where we would hire when the need came up and it was too late. What, what does it mean to be too late? Like what, what are the symptoms that you say would be hiring too late? Great question. And it's real simple. You just look out across the office and see the looks on the faces of the, <laughs> uh, the staff. Uh, it's all in attitude. So stress, obviously, uh, if you do not have the, the manpower and the yeah. hours to handle everything that the office takes in and the field, uh, then everyone gets stressed. And you know what happens when people are stressed. Things are missed. Decisions aren't made uh, as quickly or as properly as they should be. Quality drops off. And all that just lends itself into a feel in the office. And it's just something, it's a pulse that you can get your hands and you, on. And you don't retain client uh, employees either. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we try to environment and culture as Tim will attest to is such a big part of our business um, that that's critical. Yeah, I know. I mean, again, just a little note. I, I referenced Jim and uh, I don't know how long Jim has been working there, but you've got several project managers that have been there for years and years and years and years and years, which testifies to a great, a great atmosphere. So let me just ask this question. When, when you hire someone and you're not quite ready for them, in other words, you, there, maybe there's not a job for them to do right away, or maybe, 
maybe uh, you're getting into a new part of the remodeling world. And so you need somebody with some different skills and, and you found this person, but you're not quite ready to make that jump. How do you pay them? You know what, and what do you do with them in that, that time frame? Do they go into the overhead? Do they go into job costs? Where, where does all that, cause it's not cheap here in Rhode Island. I don't know, not as expensive as downtown New York city, but it's not cheap here in Rhode Island. So um, where does that, where, how do they get paid? I guess that's the question I'm asking because they're not producing anything yet. Sure. Well, we always have a place, we always have a place to job cost them to. Um, okay. So whether it's a job specifically or whether it's a warehouse or facilities. Uh, and I think people will attest to out there that the minute that you hire somebody and have that person is when the demand drops. And now all of a sudden you have time. Oh, I don't, what am I going to do with this person? It, it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Right. Um, but again, going back to the owners, they recognize that fact and they understand that there's going to be times where that could happen. Um, we always have a, a, a list ongoing of things in our facilities that needs to be improved and updated and, and worked on. Uh, right. That we we go to that list at that point. So yes, it's going to happen. Um, it it will happen. Hopefully, not very often. Um, but uh, that's kind of how they, we we prepare. You for mean it. they don't come storming through the office? Go, what are you doing sitting here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exa exactly. Um, and let's let's face it. If somebody came in, if another project manager came in or production manager came into our office and and saw our staff, they may say, "Wow, what's your, you know, what's your payroll cost right now? You can't. You must be really high." Well, maybe we are a little bit high right now, but again, I consider it an investment of where we're going. Um, so and so, yeah, I, I think that's a, a a great great way to look at it. So, are you actually involved? with the business owners in terms of doing the dollar volume projections? Yes. And how do you keep from just going like, yeah, that sounds good to me, you know, because <laughs> I, you know what I'm at? You know what I'm asking? I mean, they're the owners of the company, right? They should know they should be able to project uh, realistically. And I guess maybe I should be asking, have you ever said, no, that's too much or, no, I don't. I don't think that's right. Never. Okay. And it, that's not a reflection on me. That's a reflection of they've issued me a challenge. So if they come okay. in and say, we got to sell 8 million and I come back with, well, I only have the staff to, to sell 6.5 million. Well, guess what? I need to staff up. I need to find it, the means to get that done. Um, okay. We work extremely well together. You know, forecasting and, and projecting our jobs is, is critical to, uh, to our yeah. model. Um, and we, it couldn't exist any other way. Yes. So um, let's see. I had, had it right on the top of my head there and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm forgetting the question that I wanted to ask. That's the first time this has happened in the podcast. I think I've just kind of uh, lost my train of thought. Do I feel honored where or did, should I feel? <laughs> where did you find these people? Where did these people come? Like, I know you, well, let, let me go to this first. You hired uh, a new a new position. You mentioned in there that with the growth, you figured out like, hey, we don't just need project managers. We need a new position, which I think is a big problem for companies that are growing rapidly as they think, I just need one more of this when maybe some other position would help. So what was that new position you added? And where did you find that person and any of these new project managers you've been adding? 
Sure. Um, well, first part of that question is the new position we added is what we call a design build coordinator. And that person is responsible for the coordination of the project between design all the way through to production. So that starts off with site visits, uh, trade walkthroughs prior to the selling of the project. So we can get accurate estimates on there. They can get their eyes on the project. So, you know, we can provide accurate feedback to the client that this is what needs to happen on your project, as well as it provides training to the design team. Hey, this is what this means. And now we have to do this. So it serves many, many fold. That design build coordinator also is very functional in the planning and the calendar of the project. And then while the project is going on. Uh, he is the conduit between the trade partners and the production office once the project starts. It was an incredibly invalu invaluable uh, position for us. Uh, we didn't have it. it. We kind of necessitated itself out of, out of need. Um, and again, the second part of that is this person always, also has a very strong build framing background. Uh, so anytime where there's a structural issue, where there's exterior, anything like that, he's heavily involved. We do have a second person that does exactly the same thing, but he's more focused on the interior remodeling. Um, and it's allowed us to address the problems upstream that didn't really come to light until the project was already sold and it was too late. And all it just meant was how much money are we going to have to give away? Now, are um, they are they uh, costed in overhead? Are they part of the overhead? They're costing an overhead. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, again, you sell, sell a couple of more million dollars and you can pay for those people pretty, you know, pretty easily. Absolutely. So where did, where do all these people come from? You well, say, you say you were lucky and that you found them, yep. but where are they coming to you? Cause that's what every, again, the voices in my head are asking me like, ask him where he found them. We want some of those people. So how did they come to you? And maybe, maybe how did they even hear that you needed somebody or, or whatnot? What, what, what's the process you have for that? So just speaking from my experience, I think the worst uh, return on investment is placing ads on the internet. Um, your, you get a large number of applicants, uh, but the quality of the applicants is much less than, than what you want. So the return is very, very little. Certainly postings on our website helps because um, it's people that actually are seeking out your company. Uh, and they go on there and look, but most importantly are referrals whether it be current employee referrals or trade partner referrals. We've recently had some uh, very, very good luck. Uh, we had a trade partner meeting where we brought in all of our, you know, not obviously not only our PMs, but our electricians at every single trade that works on our jobs, had a breakfast for them, you know, told them what's going on with our company and offered to them a, a, an incentive program to refer people that they know. And the bottom line is, would you hire that person and would you hire them to do work in your house? If they meet those two requirements, then pass their name on to us. And we've had uh, some pretty good early success with that. And we're going to continue to focus on that. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to do it. I, I, I don't know if it's coming out in this month's newsletter, but I, I tell the story about my boat got a crack in it. And I had to bail for like 10 miles to get back to shore <laughs> where I could actually pull the boat out of the water. But I immediately, when I got home, I started telling everybody, everybody I met, it didn't matter. A guy came by to look at some trees that needed work in my yard. I told him about it and he said, oh, call this guy. And, and the boat was fixed in three days, which is unheard of. Everybody's two to three to four weeks back. 
And I just, it just taught me this story of like, tell everybody that you need, that you're looking for help. And, and to your point, like what, what would be the criterion that you would use for actually hiring them on? So you can let your trade contractors steal project managers, not you. Another good point. Absolutely. <laughs> We're not actively recruiting. We're uh, yeah, passive aggressively recruiting. There we go. But, but they're, they're seeing the talent on other job sites. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's an amazing, amazing thing to do. So you, you've actually gotten some folks from that uh, yes. set up. What you, you mentioned some incentive. What's the, if you don't mind sharing, what's the incentive sure. to bring somebody to you? Well, we offer a small amount of money, around $50 for just the referral itself. Uh, and then if they're hired and complete actual jobs, there's a, a tiered process where, uh, you know, they get $250, $300 uh, in, in most cases cool. uh, for doing work with us. And we like to pay that out right away so they see the benefit of, uh, of actually doing it. All right, cool. So we're going to wrap this up, Jim. This has been fantastic, partly because you've been saying all the things I want you to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but also because it works. I mean, this is, you, you got to work with the data. You got to think ahead, that sort of thing. So are you setting up for the next wave? Are you, I mean, what's the, what's the next step for our IKB design build in terms of uh, growth and, and so forth? Well, another, another thing that I think is important is uh, controlling your growth. So we do have a plan and uh, we are not preparing yet for our next stage, but it's coming very, very soon. Yeah. Um, and we're going to determine the rate at which we grow. And we're going to make sure that we have the staff in order to do that before we actually experience it because uh, projects suffer if we don't. So we're going to go about it the right way. Yeah. That's a really hard uh, one. One of the individual I know was talking about how they're growing and he goes, you know, our company is a sales organization. And I went, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, because when it's that way, it's all driven by sales and as much sales as can come in then. So let me, if you don't mind on that note, are your say, is your sales staff driven by uh, commission? They are bonus based. So bonus. They, they, they do have a base salary and then they're what they okay. sell. They have a percentage. So that, that might help control the growth a little bit if there's a base, you know, and, and then, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. Jim, thank you so much for being here. It's so fantastic. I'll pop into the office one day when I'm up that direction, we'll drink some coffee or something and uh, catch back up in person. But I really, really appreciate you taking a little bit of time and sharing this information with us. Fantastic. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks right, so much. Take care. Jim. take care. So Tim, I've got uh Again, I've got a lot here. This is this is a fantastic podcast. I think there's just so much to learn here. My number one is uh, when he mentioned the data. Yeah. After your question on, you know, how do you figure it out with the number of weeks? And it's just data. Uh, not getting caught up on what we can do. This is just, or, or what's available, I guess. It's right. what, you know, it's what we can do at our standards. Well, there's a couple of big things. I think the data was was one of those things. I think the close relationship between ownership and production management, I've been barking about this for years and years and years that I think a business owner and a production manager ought to be 
uh, equals in some discussions, not all of them, obviously, but in some discussions, and this is certainly one of them, how much can we sell and then how can we produce it and do that in a controlled uh, kind of way? I think I went off a little bit more on the idea of, you know, where do we find these people? You know, we've been talking about that yeah. on podcasts often. And I think just getting out there, being patient and and getting the right people for you uh, in your in your um, your your company. And then I think the other thing that kind of led him down the road, but just talking about the production coordinator and and also for folks who out there who think a coordinator is a young woman who sits at a desk in the office, not in their case. This is these are people who know construction but what they're doing is they're facilitating the information that comes from sales design to production so that when production starts, everything's there. Everything's all the important information is put together. Yeah. I think this is very important. We have talked about the finding people piece so much. So, I mean, if you take a, a nugget or a little piece from this podcast Make sure you go back and look to at all of the other podcasts we've had and take the little pieces and make it yours and see what um, you could do. Because it's obviously an issue that I hear about, Tim, you hear about it all the time and yeah. people are doing things. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about here is that I don't know if you paid attention to it, but Jim said when he started and I remember when he started there because I've known yeah. Rhode Island Kitchen and Bath for a long time. They were three and a half million. Yeah. They're now at the 8 million mark. And I know there's a temptation for people to think, you know, when you're bigger, you have time to do all this. You know, in other words, the production manager is not nuts and bolts on the ground when you're at 8 million. So they have time to think about all that. And no, they were thinking about it when they were three and a half to four to five. And yes, now that they're at this level, he probably has a little more time to think about it, but he had to think about it even when they were smaller. Yeah, it's time and it's also resources. And I was going to ask that question. Is this only something that you can think about at this range, at this, you know, let it be revenue range or size of the company? And to your point, no, it's it's done two, three, you know, 10 steps behind. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the old, you know, sharpen up the axe before you cut down the tree kind of thing. Yeah. Which, you know, a lot of us production people would, let's just get at it with the dull axe. We'll make it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this was fantastic. We want to thank Jim Reardon for joining us today. And we want to thank all of the listeners for listening to another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. And remember, at the Tim Fowler Show, we're working really hard to eliminate it is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.